Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, lead pastor here for Riverwood. Uh, and uh, before we uh, jump into our sermon today, I just want to go through a, a few announcements. Um, I just want to first say I, I ran into a pastor friend last week, and I just, you know, was reconnected. I said, hey, how, how are you doing? How, how are things going? And he says, Aaron, we are seeing revival at our church. And my, my jaw kind of drops, my eyes get a little big, and I'm like, really? He says, we are reviving low summer attendance. And, you know, I laughed with him, um, and, and I realized, you know, as, as we're here this morning, if you're a regular part of the Riverwood family, you realize, yeah, okay, it's, it's kind of empty today. And if you're a first-time guest, you have no idea what it's normally like in here. And yet what's so funny is, as humans, we often determine whether something's good or not based on how many people are a part of it. Like, if, if there's a lot of people there, man, it must be really, really good. Everyone's seeing it. Everyone's participating. And yet there's something about it like, oh, well, there's not many there. And, and something happens in our hearts and our minds. Today, I just encourage you, don't let this keep us from connecting with him. Because it is not about how many people are here. It's about what God wants to do in you. Um, and so today could be just an absolutely beautiful, glorious day. And I, I think today's sermon is going to really help to encourage some of you. Uh, and, and I just really want you to lean in and listen, because I really believe God has something for you. Again, as I said, before we jump in, I uh, just want to draw your attention to the handout that you were given when you came in. Uh, inside of that is a connection card. Uh, I'm not going to go through all, everything that's in there. I trust all of you can read. Uh, but if you're a first-time guest, uh, we ask you to fill out that connection card. Because our church family fills that out. We just fill out that top line, and then we use the back for prayer requests. I'm going to talk about that here uh, during the sermon. Um, but if you're a first-time guest and are willing to fill out the entire front of that card, what we do is we donate $5 to Compassion International on your behalf. Uh, Compassion is an organization that has a goal of releasing children from poverty, and they do it in Jesus' name. They work through local churches where kids have, uh, get some food, they get some education, they receive some clothing, but mostly they get to hear about the life-changing message of Jesus. And the, the hope and dream is that as you change the lives of some kids, and, and you begin to change their future, and as you change their future, you begin changing the future for their family. And as you change the future of enough families, you change communities, and you change enough communities, you begin to change the world. And so that's why it's a joy to partner up with Compassion. And so, again, there's going to be no pressure. No one's going to arm twist you. No, no usher's going to check you before you leave to make sure you turn in that card. It's all on, on your willingness. If you're willing to fill out the entire front, your, your address, everything, drop that in our giving box on this back wall right here or right by the uh, front doors as you leave, we will donate that $5 uh, sometime here in this next week or month or so. And uh, it would be an absolute joy to get to do that. And if you are part of the Riverwood family, just a simple reminder, uh, if you're giving today as part of your worship, that also can just go in the giving box, or you can do your giving online or via text via the number that's up there uh, on the screen. Uh, I am totally drawing a blank, and this is really embarrassing, because as I said last week, I'm the one who does the announcements, and I uh, forget what I put in there, because I did it so early in the week. Uh, VBS is coming up, uh, so get your kids signed up. Uh, also, we need lots and lots of volunteers, uh, so please uh, head on there and sign up, even if you can only do a couple of nights, we'd still uh, uh, take you uh, because uh, it, we're, we're probably going to see well over 100 kids uh, involved. And uh, we've got crafts and food and games and, and uh, just we need group leaders. Uh, it's a ton of fun, but it's a ton of work. And uh, we'd love to make those four nights uh, an absolute hit for kids. So please sign up, even if you don't have children yourself, uh, all right? Especially if you don't have children yourself because you actually have energy. The parents don't. Uh, and then uh, coming up uh, here in a week and a half, uh, we're going to just do a Riverwood Hangout as uh, some of our growth groups don't meet over the, the summer months. Uh, we just want to continue to stay connected as a church family. Uh, so we're going to hang out over in Denver, Iowa, the uh, Wednesday night growth group that uh, Ed and Bridget Pavlik uh, help lead. Uh, they're going to host us over there at the, the park. There's a small little splash pad and some playground equipment. Uh, we're just going to hang out, be together for the evening, uh, and enjoy that time. So if you're available, just come and uh, no pressure. Uh, bring some food, bring a lawn chair, bring whatever you want, some games, and we'll just uh, ha enjoy the uh, evening together. And then... Uh, this is the one I'm probably most excited about. Uh, as many of you remember Aslan uh, McCarthy, our missionary to Togo, was supposed to be here at the uh, end of April, and then her father unexpectedly passed away, and she was not able to come. Uh, she's heading back to Togo in August, and uh, she contacted and said, hey, 
I'd love to still be able to come. So we, we worked out some dates, and uh, she's able to come uh, here in two weeks. So Aslan's going to be here. We're going to just do a Q&A with her. Uh, uh, she's going to share about what she's doing in Togo, but then we're going to have a chance to, to ask her questions. And we're going to go with our original plan. The kids are going to be in here with us so that they have a chance to l- learn from her, listen, on, and learn all about her uh, uh, time there in Togo and what she is aiming to do. So please don't miss uh, uh, next week. All right, with that, let's uh, continue on in our series. Oh, youth mission trip. Um, I, like I said, this is embarrassing. Uh, okay, so my wife and I uh, have been leading the youth group this last year. Uh, we have uh, talked with Patrick Ray, our, our church planner up there in uh, the Twin Cities, and uh, we are going to be taking three teens. Uh, we're taking Caden and Parker, as well as my son Zion, uh, up there on Friday. We will d- be doing a um, Backyard Bible study with kids uh, ages 6 to 11, maybe some teens, but primarily uh, kids. And then uh, we're uh, going to be uh, serving on uh, Saturday, most likely painting a fence, and then in the afternoon serving at a neighborhood barbecue. And then on Sunday, I'll be preaching uh, there so that Patrick has the week off because Patrick's doing a big intensive uh, Greek course. So anyway... Uh, it, we wanted to let the Riverwood family have two weeks to donate uh, whatever was not raised uh, here within the church family. The three uh, teens are going to then begin to raise through family and friends. Um, and also we're going to be looking for prayer partners uh, in, as, as part of that as well. So if you would like to donate, uh, you need to do a separate check for that and put Youth Mission Trip in the uh, memo line. Or you can go online to our giving page and uh, in the drop-down menu, rather than select General Fund, you can select Youth Mission Trip. Uh, we need to raise $1,250 to cover uh, all of the costs. We want no cost at all on Northside uh, Neighborhood Church, uh, and so we are trying to absorb all of it ourselves. Uh, so if you would like to help support the teens as they go up there and support the, the ministry of Northside Neighborhood Church, uh, you can donate uh, this week, and then next week we'll be, uh, uh, the teens are going to start uh, fundraising uh, outside of the Riverwood family. Okay, is that my last one? Okay, there's the thumbs up. All right, let's uh, jump into the uh, book of Acts. Well, uh, Justin and Tricia moved to Indianapolis, Indiana in 2002 to plant a church. And this church exploded with growth. Within one year, there were hundreds of people that called Genesis Church home. Within 18 months, they they were beginning a $1 million fundraising project to be able to buy land and build a building. I mean, everything was just taken off. And so it was causing Justin and Tricia to get invited to all of the church planting conferences. There were church planters who wanted to go to Indianapolis to learn from them. I mean, everything looked great. But underneath it all, Justin was struggling with a sex addiction. And he didn't just stop at pornography use. He went on to have an affair. And the affair was with their children's director, who also happened to be his wife's best friend. In those moments when everything was exposed, Justin and Tricia just saw everything collapse. Justin went through the darkest night of his soul, absolutely embarrassed that he let this sin take a hold of him and ruin everything losing his marriage, losing his job, losing his identity, losing respect. At the same time, Trisha, she'd had all these dreams. This was her dream man, and now he's not who she thought he was. This was like her, the world's greatest best friend, and her best friend betrayed her by sleeping with her husband. Like, she dreamt always of being part of a church, and now this is being taken away from her. And, and everything came crashing down. Now, what you expect to hear is that he was out of ministry, they lost their marriage, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the story. The, the reason most people know Justin and Tricia Davis' story is because they survived. It took four years. Tricia didn't just simply say, ah, you know what, no big deal. No, four years of deep, intensive counseling, absolutely gut-wrenching, but they fought through it, and their marriage survived. They have three children, They're still married, and they're still seeking to make a difference. They didn't want other people to go through what they did. And so they started a ministry called Refine Us, where their hope and goal is to help people who were on the brink of divorce see their marriages healed through the gospel. Now, if you were to talk to Justin, I'm sure he would say, oh yeah, if I could go back in time and redo it, I totally would. I would never have the affair. I would never keep the the sex addiction hidden. You know, Trisha herself would probably say, yeah, I wish I would have done some things different. But if you talk to them today, they would probably say, 
We realize, though, that the health that we experience within our marriage, the love and connection we have, the commitment we are experiencing happened because of what God did through such a dark time. Have you ever been through something so horrible and awful, and yet when all is said and done, you find yourself actually grateful? I mean, none of us want the, the life tornado that swoops in and just destroys everything. And yet, even in the midst of the destruction, when it all comes through, we see something new rebuilt, and it's stronger. Like, we, we don't want to have our public sins, I mean, our private sins exposed publicly like Justin's. None of us want to have the rejection or betrayal like Trisha experienced. We don't want to go through the crisis. We don't become giddy when we start having a dark night of the soul. And yet, when you come through it, you find yourself saying really strange words like, I would never wish that upon my enemy. And yet, I'm so grateful that happened because it's helped make me who I am today or I'm experiencing this today or we have this kind of relationship because of that. So far in the book of Acts, we've seen the early church go through some really hard things. Twice, we've seen some outside pressure from the religious leaders and they're trying to stop this entire movement that's happening of people putting their faith in Jesus and believing that he is the Messiah. Then, a couple weeks ago, we saw in chapter 5, a couple who appeared to be part of the church try to lie to get themselves more influence within the church and created a moment where there could begin to be like a cancer within the church. And so the church has been fighting through a lot. But what we're going to see today is by far the worst it's going to be kind of like what Justin and Tricia experienced in their marriage. This has the potential, like it's going to put the church in an identity crisis. It's the type of thing that would have the potential to destroy a church. And yet, just like Justin and Tricia's story, we're going to see the church emerge stronger. To see it for yourself, open up your Bible to Acts chapter 6. We are ready for Acts 6. If you're a first-time guest and, and don't have a Bible, uh, we're going to be putting the Scripture on the screen so that you can read along with us. But if you have a Bible on your phone, by all, me by all means, pull that out. Download a Bible to your phone, and then you can use that on Sundays and any day of the week so that wherever you go with your phone, you always have a Bible with you. If you uh, want to go old school like me and uh, you need a paper Bible, we have some on our uh, resource table out in the lobby. Uh, when you leave today, pick one of those up, make that our gift to you, and that way you uh, have a, your own personal Bible. Um, last week, uh, my friend Ben Schmidt, uh, the uh, area director for Fellowship of Christ Christian Athletes, was here. And uh, when I'd asked him to come, I fully expected Ben to want to, you know, kind of teach his own thing. And instead, Ben says, well, what's Riverwood doing? Well, we're going through the book of Acts. Oh, really? What, what would you be ready for? And so I told him. And he read it and goes, oh, I love that passage. So he's like, would you be okay? Could, could I teach that? Hey, ben, by all means, do so. Uh, so he took us to chapter 5, and he helped got to finish up the, the chapter. And what we saw was a story very similar to what we saw back in chapters 3 and 4. The apostles are preaching about Jesus. They end up getting arrested. But there was one big major difference. Back in chapter 4, we saw the, the religious leaders just verbally persecute the apostles, like put all this pressure on them to not preach about Jesus. But last week, Ben showed us that this time they were physically beaten for it. So, the, so the, the persecution is, is getting more intense. It's ramping up. And yet, even as they're now physically being beaten, Ben still pointed out to us what the apostles said. This was in Acts 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And Ben began to pull out of this passage how we need to obey God no matter what is happening. No matter what intense pressure we might be feeling from outside our, our, ourselves, outside of our church, outside of our friends, maybe even what is happening inside, what the, our cravings, our temptations, that, that we need to continue to obey God. And, and so that's what Ben was calling us to. Well, when, when you face kind of these outside pressures and you come through it, I don't know, maybe it's the, the man in me. Like you feel kind of heroic, you feel tough and strong. But it's a lot harder to fight the internal things. And that's why I think what we're going to see today is even deeper and harder. So if you would, join me at verse 1 in chapter 6. Today we're going to do uh, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, 
when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we've just read your holy scriptures. These words were recorded history for us to hear what took place in the first church. And yet I believe, God, that you embedded truths there that have been able to help your followers throughout the generations. And so I believe that these words can also help us today. Lord, I pray that you will do something twofold. That first you will use these words to help Riverwood continue to be the church you call us to be, that we would have your heart, that we would fulfill your mission. Likewise, God, I pray that you'd help us individually that as we each have our own individual lives of school and work, of family, of, of, of we're in different stations, that somehow you would still take these words that show us the early church and you'd help us to see how anyone who's a follower of Jesus is part of your church and there are truths here for them as well. So God, that's why I pray that this would not be about just what I've prepared to say. This is about what you have already been saying through your word and want to say today. So Holy Spirit, Speak to the minds and hearts of everyone listening, whether in person, online, or on the podcast, that you would speak to them and they would find themselves drawn to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray for it. Amen. In uh, verse one, uh, we see the the problem that the church is facing. Really, it just comes down to discrimination. In fact, I'll take it even a step further. We'll just call it what it is. It's racism. I'm using the English Standard Translation, uh, and uh, the ESV translates the word uh, Hellenist. Uh, The the ESV has a a, a bias towards more of a word-for-word. If you're using uh, one that has more of a thought-for-thought type of of approach, they might change that word Hellenist to Greek-speaking. Hellenists were were Jews, but they, they spoke Greek as their first language. Right? Now, most of the apostles would have grown up in homes where they spoke Hebrew as their primary language. They would know Greek. They, w- they would speak it. It was the economic language of their day. And yet, they still spoke Hebrew, so they thought Hebrew. Like, this was more of kind of who they were. Hellenists, though, because they spoke Greek, they tended to just kind of think and dress and act more like they were Greek. And so, what's happening is, is they talked about this daily distribution. It's, it's a distribution of food. Now, remember back in chapters 2 and and chapter 4, we saw that there were people who were selling homes, selling land, and giving the proceeds to the church. Well, that money was being used to help buy food to provide for the poor. Well, who's poorer and more vulnerable than widows? And so the church is doing this ministry to help meet even just the basic needs of these women. But over time, people start figuring out, well, this collection of widows seems to always receive the food, but this collection doesn't. And it didn't take them too long to start putting two to two together and realize, wait a second, it's the Hellenists, the, the Greek-speaking widows. They're not receiving it. And, and so they're, they're like fellow Hellenists. They're, they're, like they're offended. This is pure racism, and racism is completely antithetical to the gospel. And so they speak up. If this were to happen today, This is the type of thing that would cause some people to leave. In fact, in Iowa, we're too nice to even bring forward the complaint. We would just leave quietly. There'd be a a mass exodus of people who would just leave. And the leaders would probably have no, no idea why. But then sometimes the complaint gets made. And it doesn't matter what the leadership says or does. That's it. I can't believe this is happening here. We're gone. But instead, this complaint is brought to the apostles... 
And what we're going to see is they come out stronger. If you still have your Bible there, look down there at verse 7. You'll see the church continues to increase in number, and it even says that some of the uh, priests put their faith in Jesus. How in the world does a church go through an identity crisis where racism is happening and somehow come through it where priests now want to be a part of this? The way they did it was by holding true to their values. They had their priorities straight. And what I'm going to show you today is that by keeping a laser-like focus on their values, it's going to carry them through this. And likewise, as you have your priorities in the right order, you keep a laser-like focus on it, it will help you through your personal struggles and trials, whether it is marriage like Justin and Trisha's or something with work or health crisis. And also, it can help us as a church family to weather whatever comes our way. The apostles revealed that they have two values. Their values were God and people. God and people. Let's start with God. Look down there at verse 2. The the, the problem has been brought forward to the the, uh, disciples. So it says there in verse 2, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. So in other words, they called together a big church meeting. Everyone gathers together. They show everyone, hey, here's the issue that's been brought to our attention. This isn't right. However, notice what they say. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Skip down to verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, taking those out of context, it kind of sounds like they're heartless. But we know that they're addressing this issue. The fact that they bring together a whole church meeting. And we're going to see kind of the plan that they put together. However, what I want you to see is that while this is an important issue, these widows need fed, they realize we can't get sidetracked by this. This is super important. However, Jesus on the mountain in chapter um, chapter 1, verse 8, said, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You are to go to the nations and make disciples. So if they're to be making disciples, they can't get sidetracked by this food distribution ministry. In other words, they have their priorities straight. They realize the most important thing is for us to continue to put God first, to continue to draw people to God through the teaching of the word, to continue to seek after God through prayer. We have to put him first. It is embarrassing, though, how often I don't do that. How many times I have just kind of skimmed through my daily Bible reading or even occasionally skipped it because I have more important things to do. And yet I always seem to have time for my phone. Or I go to pray. Oh, but God, you, you understand these things. So I just kind of blast through my prayer because I, I need to get to my tasks. That's not saying I value God first. That's like, well, God, I know you're there. Yeah, you love me. I love you. But you're just kind of there. I, I, I got to get this stuff done. And yet we don't see the, the apostles do that. Here's this really important issue, this really big task. And they're saying, okay, this is important we've been called to something even more important, the word and prayer. Because of this passage and other passages, this is why our Riverwood elders, every Wednesday when we meet, we start with prayer. It does not matter how big our agenda is for the day. We always pray. And we pray for you guys. This is why we make a big push every single uh, uh, Sunday at the end of our worship gathering. Hey, those connection cards... Write your prayer requests on them. Because here's what we do. We don't share these cards with anyone else. They're only within our meeting. And then one of us will read aloud the prayer request. And after reading your prayer request, one of us will go, okay, I'll take it. And so we give that card to them. And then we read the next one. Oh, I'll take that one. And we pass it out. And then we distribute all of them. And then we say, anything else? Anything from a conversation here on Sunday? Anything from your, your growth group? Anything that you know of? And we share those requests. And then we pray. And we don't just simply say, God, you know what these are are, uh, written on the uh, connection cards? You know better than us. Take care of it so that we can get to our agenda. No, we, we pray specifically for you. Most weeks, it's 10 minutes, maybe 15. Some weeks, 20. I think we've even had a couple weeks where we've gone 30. 
And I don't think any of us have ended that time going, well, gee, that was a waste of time. No, this is what God calls us to. You are the priority. And so in order for us to do what God's called us to do, we must pray. And that's why we want you filling out those cards. Because it isn't so we could get the gossip on you. It's because you're helping us do the role that God's called us to. One of the primary things we are supposed to do as elders is to pray for you. So yeah, there may be times where you're thinking like, well, that's no big deal. Hey, we won't care. Write it down and we will be honored to pray for you specifically, directly. And when you have had something great happen, write that down too so that we can praise God with you. Because we realize that we as elders are called to love, to shepherd you, and to serve you. And part of the way that happens is through prayer. And we see that here with the apostles. Even as this big crisis is arising, it has the potential to wreck everything that's happening. They still say, we must be about the word and prayer. But not only do these guys value God, we also see them value people. And as I was studying through this this week, I, I kind of noticed four groupings of people that they value. The first is that they value all people. It, 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 I, I didn't take the time to go through all of the apostles. I, I just happen to know that the majority of them come from Hebrew-speaking homes. So it, it might have been just kind of natural for them to kind of side with the, the more, you know, making sure that the Hebrew-speaking widows, because like, oh, that's my grandma. I'd really like to see her get fed. But, but they don't do that. They don't take one side. Nor do they swing the other way and say, well, you know what? To make it fair, no food to the Hebrew widows. We'll only give to the Greek-speaking widows for the next, you know, two weeks, two months, just to kind of balance things out. No, they say the Greek-speaking widows need to be fed as well as the Hebrew-speaking widows because they all matter. They all have value. Jesus died for all of them. And so we must take care of them. And so even though they're saying, hey, we ourselves can't do this, they realize something must be done because these women matter. And so here's the plan that they put together. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. This verse helps transition us into the next people group I see. They don't just value all people. They also value leaders of people. Nothing gets done without leadership. Like leadership is so key and crucial. I, I uh, have now been in ministry for full-time ministry for almost 30 years. And uh, I've sat in a number of rooms with, with groups of pastors and I've heard them sharing things, you know, sometimes be very personal. Sometimes it may be a struggle that's going on within their church. But probably the number one thing that I've heard pastors talk about is their need for more leaders. And, and it's no different here at Riverwood. For us to accomplish the mission that God has given us, we need leaders. We need more leaders back in Kids Creek to help disciple our kids. We're going to need a new leader in cafe because Allison's taken off for college here in a couple months. How dare she? <laughs> we, we need, you know, Leanne and I have been leading the youth group this last year. We've loved it. It's been fun. But we realized that for me to continue to lead Riverwood the way we need to, I can't become our youth pastor. We need leaders to help there. We need growth group leaders. We need more elders. We need leaders. Last fall, during what we called a volunteer roundup, uh, I shared uh, a desire to see a fifth, sixth grade class get started. And it happened. You know why? Because Paul Johnson and Michelle Wheeler both said, hey, we'll step up and we'll help lead. And so every first and third month, uh, first and third Sunday of the month, the fifth and sixth graders take off, go into that room, and they're hearing about Jesus. They're studying through the Old Testament right now. However, at that same exact meeting, I shared my desire to see another growth group happen. As I knew that Leanne and I were going to help restart our youth group, I wanted to see another adult group get going. That did not happen. You know why? Because we didn't find the leaders. This is why John Maxwell is famous for saying that everything rises and falls on leadership. I used to hate that quote. And the more I'm in ministry, the more I understand that quote. If we're going to accomplish the mission that God has given us, we need 
leaders. And as I shared back in January, we believe that God wants to use us to help plant another church within five years. If that's going to happen, we need leaders. However, I want you to see two things about leadership in verse 3. The first thing I want you to see is that they weren't just looking for warm bodies. They needed men of character. Look there, they said that, that for this ministry of, of overseeing the widows, they needed men of good repute, full of the spirit, and of wisdom. Now, this is kind of a task-based, administrative type of role. Like, why would you need men like this? I mean, this sounds like they're wanting pastors, elders. You know, by the way, these are the very first deacons of the church. So, so why do they want men like this? Because they don't need someone coming in and bungling this up. They don't want someone coming in and keeping the problem going. They don't want someone to come in and sweep it to the other side, and now only the Greek women get taken care of more. They need someone who won't come in and try to use the position of power for themselves, which suddenly they get plenty of food, their family and friends seem to always get food, and they get richer off of this. They need men who they can trust. Because if Jesus could entrust them with the leadership and start of the church, then they're going to have to entrust others to do it. And so they need qualified men. I have been involved in uh, kind of connected with campus ministry for well over 20 years now. And uh, did you know that college students graduate? It's this really bizarre uh, phenomenon. And so that means that like, these Christian organizations are constantly needing to find new leaders. And I've been connected to FCA here at Warburg the last couple of years. And already, just in my two years, I've seen two different leadership teams you know, if you're really, really blessed, you're going to get two years with a college student. If you're really, really blessed, maybe three. There's just a constant turnover within college ministry. And so when student leadership groups are looking for new leaders, because, hey, I'm getting ready to graduate, or I'm going to win away on my internship, we need to find some new leaders. The first thing they tend to look for is faithfulness. Now, faithfulness is a really important qualification, However, just because someone showed up at FCA or to the Bible study or to, to whatever every single week does not automatically make them qualified to be a leader. You need character. That's what the apostles are calling for here. We need men who are of character to help lead this so that they're not going to end up using it for their own benefit or end up hurting other people. Instead, they're going to use this to truly help the widows and help the name and fame of the church continue to spread. So that's the first thing I want you to see. They needed men of character. The second thing I want you to notice is they don't want leaders who are just simply lazy or casual. The, the apostles themselves are kind of the key leaders here of the church. But they're not getting casual about this. They don't just kind of go, well, you know, here are three or four ideas that maybe we could do. Or, you know, let, just give us like a few weeks, a few months, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll come up with a plan. They don't even just say, you know what, we're just going to trust and watch what God does. No, they, they step in. They get active. They're not lazy with this. They, they put together a plan because they know that leadership can't be done lazily. So if you are a leader, whether at Riverwood, at work, on your team, at school, on, in your club, wherever, even if it's just leading your children at home, don't be lazy with your leadership. We need leaders. But when you are lazy in leadership, what it means is you're putting yourself first rather than them first. If the, if the disciples were going to just kind of put themselves first, I mean, sorry, not the disciples, the, the apostles, if they were going to put themselves first, they would not have entrusted this ministry to, to these seven. They, they would have just done it themselves because they could swoop in. They could look like the superheroes. They fix it all. Look how caring they are. Man, they're willing to do anything. Not only are they the, the famous teachers of our church, but they're even willing to go and serve tables. Man, what great servant leadership. But they realized, no, we can't do everything. We have got to continue to do what God's called us to do. So we're going to entrust this to others to do but they need to entrust it to others who will see it through. So if you're a leader, don't be lazy. Don't get casual with it because this matters. It's for people. And so if you're, if you're leading, what are you doing to help set others up to be successful? Because really this leadership, it's not to be about yourself. 
what are you doing to help them? What are you doing to make them successful? And, and if you're leading here at Riverwood, what are you doing to help us just continue to create an environment where anyone is welcome and they have every opportunity to find and follow Jesus? So don't be lazy in your leadership, but we also need people who will have good quality, uh, godly character. So when you, when you value all people and you have leaders who will value all people, that helps lead to the third grouping that I see, and that is a unified people. The, the apostles seem to value a unified people. I love the first phrase of verse 5. It just simply says, And what they, referring to the apostles, said, pleased the whole gathering. That phrase right there has helped me so much as we were beginning to establish a governance plan for Riverwood. If you don't know, the Bible does not say too much about church governance. There, there's some things in there, but, but not a lot. It sure would have been helpful if God had given us more. Like, I really wish he would have written a third letter to Timothy through Paul that says, and every church that you plant should have 12 elders to represent the 12 apostles, and they should have nine deacons who oversee these areas, and those who have voting rights are fit in these categories. No, that, that's not in there. And so what that means is there's a lot of wiggle room. And so just because Riverwood does it one way doesn't mean we're wrong compared to another church or that they're, you know, wrong because we do it this way. There, there's this wiggle room. However, some churches have taken that wiggle room in my opinion, to an extreme. One extreme would be where the pastor has all the power and authority. I, I, I actually served on staff at a church where that was the case. In my first two years in ministry there, I lived in fear that any week I could walk into staff meeting and be fired like that for no reason. He could just say, you know what? I just don't think your voice is that great, Aaron. I was a music uh, worship leader. You know, I, I just don't think you're, you're doing a great job. You're gone. No cause, no reason. But he had all the power and authority. On the, on the other side, I, I've seen churches that, that the power and, and staff have no authority at all. In fact, I uh, know of one church where a, a, a guy told the pastor, you work for me, and I will be here longer than you. Like, you, you'll move on, I'll still be here, so you work for me, you're going to do what I say. And he, and he wasn't joking about it. It was the truth. So those churches, they make all the decisions. It's the congregation that makes the decisions about what time they start church, what kind of uh, curriculum they use back in kids. Like, it, it rests all with them. And, and the, the pastors and, and staff are just there to, to do whatever the congregation tells them to do. I don't understand either of those scenarios. I don't understand the second scenario, because if God has given someone a spiritual gift of leadership— that spiritual gift of leadership is to be used for the benefit of the church. So you need to let them lead. But at the same time, the church is the people. And if the church is saying, we need more laborers, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few, why would you not allow the, the church to speak into some of these things? Because as you interact with the church, you start discovering things and you start seeing who can be leaders. That, that's why at Riverwood, we don't use the word partner. We use the word, sorry, we don't use the word member. We use the word partner. Because we believe it is to be a partnership between our church family and our leaders who are a part of the church family to, to, together to follow the mission God's given us. That's why I love that phrase in verse 5. Because the, the apostles, they lead, they put together this plan, but they submit the plan to the people. And when the people hear it, it pleases the whole gathering. They approve of it. And then I want you to notice that they say, okay, we need some leaders for this. Here's the qualifications, but you guys are going to nominate them. You choose. The, the, the apostles didn't say, so we're going to choose our seven. No, they're like, you guys are going to do this because we're going to solve this problem together. This is part of why at Riverwood, our, our church family nominates our elders. At, at any time, if you want to nominate someone, you, you can if you start noticing in someone the, the kind of character that the scriptures talk about in an elder, this is someone you want to listen to, someone you, you really trust. You see that, that he has a heart to really love and care. You can mention to me, or to Matt, to, to Luke, Ed, hey, have, have you noticed? So we might then go to them, say, hey, your, your name was brought forward. Is this something you would consider? And if he says yes, we then have a questionnaire that he fills out. 
If that's good, we go to an interview. If he's married, we also talk with his wife. If, if that goes well, we do these reference checks. We want to make sure that his character really is, even outside of the church, who he says it is and who we believe he is. And if through all of that, we feel like this person would make a great addition to our elder team, we bring that elder to you. We let our Riverwood partners, those who said we, they've gone through Riverwood 101, they say we're fully on board. We let them interview, get to know this person, and then they get two weeks to pray. Should, should this person be one of our leaders at Riverwood? And it gives two weeks where if you know of something with this individual, you can come to me or to Luke, Ed, Matt, say, hey, I experienced this with this person, or I know this about them to make sure that we're not putting someone in there who is not who they say they are. But if through those two weeks, there's no complaints, we let our Riverwood family affirm it. Our partners say yes to this because our desire is that it would please the whole gathering. We believe we are in a partnership on this because leaders are needed, but also uni a unified people are needed. That leads to one last group. As much as they valued their church family, these leaders uh, being unified, they also valued new people. I've already drawn out uh, verse 7, but look at it again. We just see how the, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples were multiplied greatly. Even some of the priests, some of these people who had been opposed to them, who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, he was just some carpenter from Nazareth, they didn't believe about the resurrection because they didn't see the body, and yet they can't deny what they're seeing happen. And even in a situation of racism, they see the way the church handles it, how everyone matters, how everyone is loved, it overwhelms them, and they end up coming and being a part of it as well. But maybe you don't realize just how hard that is. It is so easy for a church to fall to one of two extremes. I've known of churches who've been so oriented for new people that they almost ignore the needs of their current church family. It's all about the new because we just want to continue to grow. They value new people at the expense of those who are already apart. On, on the other hand, I've seen churches that they value the, the church family, but when someone new walks in, they never get greeted. They, no one hears their story. They, they, they basically get ignored because it only matters about me and my holy huddle. Healthy churches do both. Healthy churches love each other deeply and are committed. And yet at the same time, they will do everything they can to welcome the new people in. And that's hard because you have only so much bandwidth. You have only so many, like uh, uh, Larry Osborne, a pastor out in San Diego, says that people are like Legos. Some people are, are bigger Legos, some people are shorter, but you only have so much space to connect with other people. And so it's hard to continue to welcome new people in. But if we're gonna be the church and the people God calls us to be, we're gonna have to figure out the way to do it. Because in the book of Acts so far, every single time Luke talks about the growth of the church numerically, it comes right after he has given us the example of the care within the church. Acts chapter 2, we see they're, they're selling their possessions and the church is growing like crazy. Acts chapter 4, they're selling their possessions and the church continued to grow like crazy. Acts chapter 3, we see Peter heal a guy, show this kind of care, and the church grows like crazy. And now we've seen them caring for one another, making sure all the widows are cared for, and the church continues to grow. I believe that is because if a church will truly love one another, deeply committed not just a simple hello on a Sunday, but I know your name, I know your story, I want to be in your life. The outside world will go, well, I want to be a part of that. Because if they love each other like that, maybe they'll love me. If, if we are not growing at all as a church, it's probably because we're ignoring the, the new people. And yet, if we see tons of new people constantly get involved and yet we never grow, it's probably because we're ignoring the people who are already a part. This is why our growth groups are so key and critical, so that people have a place to connect. It's why we, we, you know, take a moment on Sundays. Hey, just say hi to someone near you. We hope that won't just go, hi, hi, hi. But really, hey, how you doing? And maybe something sparks here that takes off into the lobby after the service. And you end up sitting down and you have a deeper conversation. Hey, let's get together for coffee this week. Hey, can I text you on that? Hey, can I just pray for you for a moment? 
Because I believe that as you care for one another, God will continue to do great things here. And we will have the opportunity to continue to invite the spiritually disconnected to find and follow Jesus. So for us to be this church, we are going to have to value God first, but we also have to value people. But this should not surprise us. Because if you think about it, in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment in all of the Old Testament? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Quotes from Deuteronomy 6. In other words, value God. But he didn't stop. He kept going. He was asked, what's the greatest? And he says, well, the second is much like it. Because in his mind, they're linked. It's to also love your neighbor as yourself. He quotes from Leviticus 19. Basically, he's saying, if you love God, you're going to love people. And if you aren't loving people, it probably means you're not in the right place with God. Because the more you get to know God, the more you understand his heart, you start realizing God created humans. He put his image in them. Even though they sinned, he gave everything for them to bring them back into a relationship with him. And if that's the kind of heart that God has for people, then if we treasure him first and foremost, we will develop that same kind of heart. And that's hard. It's easy to do when the people look like us, dress like us, vote like us, listen to the same kind of music, watch the same Netflix shows. It gets harder when they seem to do the opposite, when their decisions are very different than ours, when they look different, speak different, when they even our Hawkeye fans. <laughs> and yet, all people matter to God. Jesus did not just die for the Jews. He did not just die for a specific group. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And so because all these people matter, they need to matter to us. But now let's go back to the personal. What do you do when you're facing your own crisis? What do you do when you're going through your own trial, like a Justin or a Tricia? How does any of this help? Because it sure helps give some clarity on what we need to do as a church. But what's this mean Monday morning at work? What's this mean this fall when I'm back at school? What, what, what does this mean when I, when I go hang out with my friends or I, I'm on the team? You're going to have all sorts of things thrown at you. And it's going to be hard. Our world right now thinks that in order for you to value people, you have to affirm everything about them. Valuing does not mean affirming. By all means, if you run into someone who is a murderer, I hope you will value them because the image of God is in them. But you do not need to say, well, you know, I understand she was saying some really mean things. You were angry. You were just being true to yourself in the moment. I, I get it. So it, it, it's fine. It's not fine. So how do you get through those messy moments? Because right now, some of you, you're feeling really awkward. I'll be honest. I'm feeling awkward. Because what I'm talking about goes so counter to where our culture's at. And man, our culture sometimes says some really smart-sounding things. So it's really tempting to just jump in line with it. We're being discipled through TikTok and YouTube and, and the, the conversations around the water cooler. And it would just be so much easier to just give in and do this. How do you navigate these awkward things? How do you navigate the difficult things? How do you navigate when this tornado has just hit you? By keeping your values and your priorities straight. When you value God, he is what you treasure. No matter what someone throws at you, you'll be able to hold firm and say, I must obey God rather than men. You'll be able to say it with respect. You'll be able to say it with love. You'll even be able to say it with all sorts of grace because God has given you so much grace. And yet you'll be able to hold firm. And it will be hard because some people won't hear it. All they will hear is that you hate. All they'll hear is you are closed-minded. And yet you're not because you realize God was not closed-minded to me. I did this and that and those things. I thought these things. I said these things. And yet Jesus still died for my sin. And if he could love a sinner like me, he values all people. 
And so I may not affirm everything you choose, but you matter to God. And so therefore you're going to matter to me. And when you realize that you matter to God, you will be able to come through your own tornado, holding firm, because God will carry you through, and you might just find yourself on the other side of it, being stronger and actually grateful for what you faced. So Heavenly Father, I just submit all of this to you right now. Lord, if there is anything that I said or taught that was not in line with your heart, with your scripture, I pray that you would not only correct me, but that you would help us to, to, to forget those things. But the things that were of your spirit, the things that are in line with your heart, the things that you had for us so that we could be the people you call us to be, I pray that those things would resonate. No matter how uncomfortable they might make us feel, that we would hold firm to you. God, I pray for anyone listening to this that has not surrendered their life to you. I pray that they would come to a place of realizing your heart for them, that you love them so much so that you, Jesus, died for them. Their sin should have kept them separated from you, and yet you, Jesus, went and did everything needed to help make them yours. I pray that you'd open their eyes to this truth, and they would then submit and surrender all of themselves to you. And by doing so, they would begin to treasure you, to value you above all other things. And as they value you, you would change their heart so that their life would not just be about themselves, but it would be about people, the people that you, Jesus, died for, the people that you, Father, love, the people that you call us to reach out to, to welcome. But Lord, for us to be able to, to love these people, we've got to learn how to love one another. You've put us in a family for a reason. So help us right here within the Riverwood family to love deeply, to love sacrificially, to love in a way that loves like Jesus loved. And as we do that here, you would grow our capacity to love, to love those who are struggling in their marriage, to love those who are fighting addictions, to love those who have had their private sins publicly exposed. And that we would be the kind of people who would not judge them based simply upon their worst moment, but we would judge them based upon your love for them. God, you love us exactly as we are, and yet you love us too much to leave us that way. So help us first to follow you in all ways, whether it's today to surrender our life to you for the first time or to surrender our life for the 400th time. Because you call us to know you, to follow you, so that you might develop us to be more like Jesus. God, I pray that as you do this on an individual basis, that would then change who we are corporately. God, I am so thankful that I am part of a church family where I don't walk in here worried about the conversations, worried about backstabbing, worried about politics. Thank you, God, for what you have done here and are doing. But I pray it would happen even more, that we would be a place that resonates with your love so much that we are known for it and people will want to be involved not so we can grow something bigger and make a bigger name for uh, ourselves with Riverwood, but that it means that lives are being changed. People are being impacted. So, Father, just as we long to see kids around the world impacted through compassion, to see a, a life change, we want to see it happen right here. And I believe, God, you want to change us as you also use us to bring that change to the world. So, Father, help our priorities to be in the right place. Help us to value you and the people you have put around us so that your gospel may go forth and we would find our great joy in you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.